We're going to be reading in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. Mark 12, 28 through 34. In Mark chapter 12 and verse 28, the Bible says, And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, is our, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said unto him, Well, master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love his neighbor as himself, is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, Thou art not, thou art not far from the kingdom of God. And no man after that durst ask him any questions. The concept of love is what is at the core of this passage. We can look at what happened and what we found out about this week and we can talk about what went wrong. We can talk about how awful it is. But what we need in our society is a revival. And to have revival, we need to see redemption in the lives of people. And in order to do that, we need love. Because we can speak the truth all day. But the Apostle Paul said, Though I speak of the tongues of men and angels and have not love, I am become as a sounding brass. We can speak the truth and be ineffectual because we lack the ability to speak the truth in love. And so what is love? And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. What is love? What is this concept of love? Because some people think that they're showing love and they're not. Some people, they think they're showing love by enabling destructive behavior. That's not love because it's not what's best for the other person. Some people think that hitting you across the head with a two-by-four is love. That's tough love. Yeah, well, I'm correcting him. I'm hitting him with a two-by-four. He'll quit doing that. That's, that, that. that's not necessarily love either. So we, we have to figure this out. And if we, as God's people, God is love. Yes. It's who he is. It's his nature. Yes. If we cannot get this concept down, there's no hope. Because the lost world isn't going to figure this out. This is something that is unique to God. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus is in Jerusalem, and the religious leaders, they're challenging him, they're debating him, they're asking questions. They are trying to find a way to discredit him. And in verse 28, one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, and perceiving that he had answered them well. This guy shows up, and he's seeing his fellow, his fellow buddies, and they're confounded, they're like, oh man, what do we do now? And he, he sees it, okay, so Jesus is winning here. Well, of course he's winning. 
He's God. Jesus successfully countered every argument, every challenge, every question, every accusation thrown at him. That's because you cannot match wits with God. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God's thinking is on a totally different plane. It's a totally different process. It's a totally different language. It's a totally different progression. Trying to think like God and to understand God's thoughts and to try to master God's thoughts is like trying to run a modern computer on a 1970s operating system. It's not going to happen. Okay? It's just, it's, it's like trying to match God's wit is like trying to, is like a three-year-old trying to beat Bobby Fischer at chess. It, I mean, I don't know, weird things happen, but it's not going to happen, all right? It's not going to happen. God is higher than us in understanding. God is higher than us in the way he operates. God is higher than us in his existence. What makes sense for us is to just trust him. What's that got to do with love? Here's what it's got to do with love. This is the whole premise. This guy cannot debate Jesus. He knows he cannot debate Jesus. We cannot debate God. We know we cannot debate God. We know that we can't redefine him. We know that we cannot bend him to our will. So we have to conform to his. And his is that we love. The scribe poses a question. What is the first commandment? Not numerical order, but the most important. What is the most important commandment of all? What is central to God's commandments? What is the central message here? What does God want us to do? The answer that Jesus gave. Mm -hmm. Love God. Mm -hmm. Love your neighbor. Mm -hmm. Today, we will explore the concept of love. And what it means to love God. And what it means to love your neighbor. I want to talk to you about the concept of love. I used to think that there were three words in the Greek language for love. I found out that there were five. I'm going to just ignore two of them. Because one of them deals with love for parents. And one of them deals with like, this just uh, this sentimental love. That's, that's all well and good. But we're looking at three degrees of love here. And the Greeks had a word for love, eros. Uh, Eros was a romantic love, it was a passionate love, it was an attraction, it was the love and admiration of the beauty of another person. And so like when I saw Jessica for the first time, there was this type of love for her. I, I was smitten by her, I admired her, I didn't think I had a chance with her, so I didn't even try. Like most of the time, guys, when you see a girl that impresses you when you're 18, 19, you're, you're back in that phase of life, and you want to impress this girl, you start, you know straightening up and, and dressing better. And, and you, ca- you start to show out a little bit and you really want to impress her. Well, I, I, I felt Jessica was out of my league and, and I, I don't stand a chance. And I, I had been shot down a few times recently and so I don't even have a chance, so I didn't even try. I'm just like, I'm just going to be myself. I'm just going to just, I'm going to have to accept. I'm just going to have to admire her beauty from afar. And I didn't have to because I, I don't know what spell or delusion God sent to her, but she was smitten with me as well. 
And so, you know, that's Eros love, where you just, you, you want to be together, you can't get enough of each other, you admire the beauty. It could be an external beauty, it could be an internal beauty, a beauty of their personality, but you, you are just fascinated and you are just hung up on this person. Y'all know what I'm talking about? All right, y'all been married? All right, you get it. That's Eros love. Phileo love is brotherly love. The city of Philadelphia comes from this word, the city of brotherly love. This is uh, a, a friendly love, an affection. When you like somebody, when you have a, a general positive view of somebody and you, you really enjoy their company, and this is not passionate love like Eros. This is the love like uh, two bro brotherly love, two brothers would have, uh, your best friend, somebody that you've known for so long, going way back, you served in the military together, you grew up together, uh, you have the common interest, you know, you, you work together on things, phileo love, it's, it's an affectionate brotherly love, he, you like the guy. In John chapter 21, Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me, agape love? Peter says, yeah, Lord, you know I phileo you, and Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yeah, you, yeah, Lord, you know I love you, and Third time Jesus asked the question, he says, do you love me? And if you're reading the King James Version, you're not seeing any difference here. <laughs> you get to the third love, and Jesus says, Peter, do you phileo me? You even like me? It's a powerful message there. Mm -hmm. So you have the phileo love. And then you have the agape love. The agape love is the love that we have been commanded to love with. When Jesus said, love God and love your neighbors, he, and I, I checked this, he's using the, the agape love. It's a giving love. Mm -hmm. It's a self-sacrificial love. It's a love that seeks the betterment of the other person. So this morning, I don't want you to get hung up on the eros love or the eros love. I can't speak Greek. Uh, I don't want you to get caught up on that. I don't want you to get caught up on how did I explain phileo love. I want us to have a full understanding of agape love. Amen. Because it's the agape love that's the supernatural love. It's the agape love that God loves with. It's the agape love that we have toward others that sets us apart from the rest of the world. Yeah. This is the important one. Agape love is self-sacrificial love. Agape love is looking out for the other person. Agape love sees the other person, sees the potential in the other person, and is willing to give of itself to help that other person reach that potential. Yes. It's agape love that sent our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to the cross. It's agape love that leads one person to give their life for another person. It's the agape love that makes the sacrifices. That's agape love. And the best way I can explain this out of the scriptures is to take you to Philippians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, the Bible says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. This means that to have this agape love, to, to have this nature about us, we need to be in the business of not looking at things from our perspective and from our sense of needs and wants, but to look at things from the perspective of others and from their needs and wants. The natural thing for us to do is to look from our perspective and to be consumed with how we are affected. You ever hear somebody leave church and say, I didn't get anything out of that today? 
They went to church and they're looking for what they're going to get out of this today. It's a self, it's a self focus. It's a, it's a self perspective. How is this affecting me? How do I feel about this? Am I getting things out of this? The natural thing is to look for fulfillment in a relationship or in a marriage. Is my partner fulfilling me? Are they nurturing me? Do I feel safe in this relationship? No, you need to be safe. But I mean, you know, how do I feel in this situation? Agape love turns it the other way. The natural thing is to be consumed with how we're affected. What God's called us to do is to not look on our things, but to also look on the things of others. That means to flip the script and to see things from the other perspective and to act accordingly. And that's what Jesus did. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And it goes on to say, Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. The Bible teaches us that Jesus saw our need for salvation. He saw our lostness. He saw our condition. Mm -hmm. Looking on his own things, Jesus had it made. He was in heaven. He was being praised by the angels. He was being glorified. He had the riches and the glory. He was large and in charge. He had everything he needed. I've preached that he needed us. He didn't need us. He could have wiped us out and done a whole new creation and been perfectly fine. He didn't look at it from his perspective, did he? He looked at it from our perspective. He looked at it from Eve's perspective. How could she have been deceived from Adam's perspective? Why would he have done that? For their perspective of being lost from the garden, our perspective of being condemned without hope, the hopelessness, the pain. You know, one of the things you keep seeing in Scripture is where the Bible says Jesus was moved with compassion, right? I think it's Matthew chapter 9 where he saw the multitudes uh, scattered abroad as sheep without a shepherd, and he was moved with compassion for them. And how many times have we looked at passages here in the book of Mark where somebody comes to him and he was moved with compassion? That means he is seeing it and he's understanding it from their perspective. Hebrews chapter 4, the Bible tells us that we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmity, but was in all points tempted like as we are. That word tempted means that he went through the same trials and the same tribulations. You know, Jesus had a job before he started his earthly ministry. He was a carpenter. He knows long, hard days of work. He knows difficult customers. I mean, look at the, the culture of that day. You think that everybody was a nice, happy, polite co- No, he, I'm pretty sure Jesus had to deal with some good customers. I'm sure Jesus made a plow for some guy. And the guy told him he did a horrible job. I mean, the creator of the world is being accused of not being able to make a proper plow. I mean, you think Jesus had a hard day? And then he starts his ministry. And there's complaining. And there's challenges to his authority. There's accusations. He heals a man. And, but you did it on the Sabbath. Naughty, naughty. I mean, what's, what can I have to do for you people, right? He was tempted in all points like as we are. 
You ever say something or do something, everybody gets mad at you and they walk off? Yeah. All right. Jesus, he preached about, you know, in and, and, and John chapter 6, they were wanting him to feed them miraculously again. And he said, except you eat of my flesh, you shall not inherit the kingdom. They said, this is a hard saying. Who can know it? And everybody walks off. And he looks at his disciples and says, well, you leave also. He knows what it's like to have everybody turn away from him. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. Judas, have a guy sitting there at the table. <laughs> I love you, Jesus, knowing that he's already made the deal to sell him out. Mm -hmm. uh, Jesus knows. Why did he do all that? He, he looked at it from our perspective. Then he experienced it from our perspective. Right. Then he went to the cross, not for his benefit, but for our benefit. Right. He paid for our sins on the cross. He endured God's wrath on our behalf. And then he was buried three days in that tomb before he came out. He rose again. And he sits at the right hand of the throne of God. And as he sits there at the right hand of the throne of God, is he up there saying, glad that's over. I remember graduating from high school. That was the best feeling I, I'd felt up until that point in my life. I thought, I don't have to deal with that no more. And then we started college. And I graduated from Kilgore College. I'm like, glad to be getting out Then I went to Stephen F. It was like, this stuff never ends. Uh, <laughs> um, Jesus isn't sitting at the right hand of the throne of God saying, glad that's over. Now, what does the Bible say? He ever lives to make intercession for us. Even after he has gone above and beyond, he's still looking at it from our perspective. Yes. This is how Jesus loves us. Right. And this is the type of love that the Lord commands us to have yes. toward God and toward our neighbors. Yes. Toward God, toward each other, toward our allies, our friends, our families, and even our enemies, our opponents. So let's talk about love toward God. We're talking about that agape love. Verse 30. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Mm -hmm. Given the understanding of love that we have just reviewed, what does it mean to have agape love Toward God. Yes. A lot of people think that they just have this positive feeling toward God. They've loved God. Positive feelings are good. I have some toward my family. But positive feelings are not love. And the absence of a positive feeling doesn't mean that you don't love. Here's something I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to shatter you with this. Love actually has nothing to do with feelings. You can be in a totally bad place emotionally and still love. You can be in a totally great place emotionally where you have all kinds of warm, fuzzy, happy feelings and not love. There's a disconnect oftentimes between the feelings and the love. So what does it mean to have agape love toward God considering what we have just talked about? It means that when we love God, we consider his perspective. One of the great weaknesses of modern Christianity is that we've made the religion all about us. We've made the book all about us. We've made the experience all about us. What's God done for me? What's God going to do for me? What do I trust God to do for me? I want God to do this for me. I know that God will give this to me. It's all about me. Hey, I did that. I did that. I, I have been guilty of 
going to church, thinking that if I go to church and I get it right, God will bless me with this thing that I'm asking for. I've been guilty of that. We've made it about us. We make it about us. We're not loving God, are we? Given the understanding of what we just reviewed about love, what does it mean to agape love God? It means to consider his perspective, to consider his holiness. God is good. God is righteous. God is right. In him is no evil. In him is no malice. In him is no deceit. He's good. The Bible tells us to consider him, talking about Jesus, who endured such contradictions against himself, the holy and righteous God in flesh living among sinful men. You ever live among sinful men? I do, I'm one of them. But I mean, have you ever been in a place where everybody or the majority of people you work with are unabashedly sinful? Does that bother you? I mean, it bothered me. I worked in an environment one time where we were told to keep our religious opinions to ourselves. Don't talk about it. It's offensive. You can get in trouble with HR. But if I wanted to talk about how much I drank last night and and which woman I was seeing on the side of my wife, I could do that. That wasn't offensive. I felt conflicted in my heart. The Bible says, consider Lot, who vexed his righteous soul by living amongst the, you know, the city of, of Sodom. I'm not quoting the Bible verse right, but the, but the Bible talks about that. Consider Lot. I've been there. You know, there are certain job occupations that if you work in that, you're going to be around that. God, if we think we can relate to that, God is all righteous, all holy, all powerful, all good. And he puts up with us. His holiness. His ownership. The fact that he created all things. I was watching a Francis Chan video. And Francis Chan goes, and there's, there's caution with him. I'm not endorsing his ministry necessarily. But he said, can you imagine what it would have been like to be Adam? One day you're just there. Here I am. And you're standing there face to face with God. Now, who am I? You're a man. You're Adam. Who are you? I'm God. I just made you. Whoa. Right? But we don't do that anymore, do we? No, we're like, thanks. Hey, can I get the garden now? You know, I mean, we, we don't consider his ownership, his power, his patience, his love toward us, his passion toward us. And oftentimes, since we don't consider that, we don't act accordingly. What does it mean to act accordingly to your love toward God, to the agape love toward God, to see his perspective and, to, and I mean, we can't understand, we can't get inside his head, but we can at least on a balance sheet see it from his perspective. And to, to consider God, who he is, what he's done, what he's done for us, and then to love him, to consider that and to act accordingly. What does it mean to act accordingly? It means to, first of all, repent. Because yeah. I can get all up about myself sometimes, Right? I can, you know, I, I, 
I deserve better than this. I should have better than this. This is too hard. Why do I have to keep going through this? Why do we have to keep answering these questions? Why do we have to keep answering that phone call? Why do I keep having to deal with this government agency? That, I mean, don't they realize the situation's been resolved? They should go away. Why do I have to put up with this? God, why, why aren't you intervening? And I forget what God's already done for me. And so I have to repent of that selfishness. You know, the Apostle Paul, he had a thorn in his flesh. And he asked God three times to remove the thorn from his flesh. And what did God say to him? My grace is sufficient for you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I always read that verse as God saying, buck up, Paul. <laughs> Just deal with it, all right? Uh, you, you've got to, but think about it. God's grace toward us. God's grace toward Paul. God saved Paul. God made him an apostle. God took care of his every need. What about us? God gave his only begotten son for us. He redeemed us. He saved us. He loves us. He continues to provide for us. We have a thorn in our flesh. But even with this thorn in the flesh, we should still love God. Yes, amen. And when we fail to do that, we should repent of that. Amen. Amen. God, I know. I know you've been good to me. I am sorry for my ingratitude to repent, to believe, to trust, to honor and glorify, and to follow. Now, what does it mean to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We've talked about love, seeing things from the other's perspective, their needs, their wants, what's best for them, and then acting accordingly. And doing that toward God is repentance, faith, honoring, glorifying, worship. What does it mean to do that with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength? Mm -hmm. Even the concept blows your mind, right? Where is your heart? Where is it? And Jesus said, where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. That's right. You're right. It may not be your bank account. Maybe it's somewhere else, though. Maybe it's with a person. Maybe it's with a place. Maybe it's with an occupation. Maybe it's with yourself. Where is your heart? Your heart should be for God. To want the things of God. That's what made David a man after God's own heart. He wanted the things of God. That's where his heart was. Where is your mind focused? What are you thinking about every day? To whom does your soul belong to? And what are you willing to endure? To love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength means that you are holding nothing back from God. Your whole self is committed to him. Your whole self, your heart, your heart's not back home. I've had to struggle with that one because, like, there was a time I thought East Texas was my home. <laughs> I went back to East Texas and visited family. Stood in, the back, stood in my grandfather's backyard, which is now mine. 
and look around and the house is falling down now. My swing set that I swung on as a kid is still there. It ain't my, it ain't my home no more. Yeah, the property's in my name. It ain't my home no more. And some days I come here. And I love it here. Love you guys. This ain't my home though. And that ain't, that ain't a slide on y'all. That's not a slide on the community of Early or Brownwood. This ain't y'all's home either. If you think it's home, your heart's in the wrong place. Our heart is in heaven. In God's kingdom. That's our home. So I can go back home to East Texas. I won't feel home there. Right? I can stay here. I won't feel home here. Why? Because we are just pilgrims on this earth. Hebrews chapter 11. the, The Faith Hall of Fame. That they were pilgrims in this earth. That they declared plainly that they seek a country. If that country had been on this earth, if they'd had the country on this earth, they'd have been mindful to go back to that country. But this is a heavenly country. This is a higher country. This is God's kingdom. That's where our heart needs to be. Where's our mind focused? What do we think about all day? We need to be thinking about the the things of God. Our whole self needs to be committed to him. Our honor and glory and prestige, we need to be lifting that up to him. What do we want out of life? To see his will come about. Do you know why we see... The world falling down around us as it is, is because we're trying to build our own kingdoms. We're too busy building our own kingdoms to to see what's happening to the young people, to see. We're we're giving eight-year-olds smartphones. Here, kid, occupy yourself with this. Get out of my hair. And while they've occupied themselves with a smartphone, we're building our kingdoms. What are they learning on the smartphone? Ways to destroy themselves. You can, you can access pornography instantaneously on a smartphone. We're handing that stuff to kids. You can learn blasphemy on a smartphone. You can learn socialism on a smartphone. You can learn on a smartphone that your life doesn't mean anything. Which is why socialism is becoming more prominent. On a smartphone. Well, Brother Leland, we did the parent controls. Guys, our generation barely learned how to program VCRs. <laughs> those kids, they know how to circumvent those parent controls. And if they don't, one of their friends at school does. Yeah. And so this so we're not paying attention. We're building our own kingdoms. Yeah. Our heart's not with the Lord. Right. Your whole self is committed to him. Your strength is exerted for his honor and his glory. And that's huge. You say, Leland, I'm not sure I can live up to what you're talking about. Verse 33. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the soul and with all the strength and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. You read the book of Leviticus and all the sacrifices that are mentioned in Leviticus, all the offerings that are mentioned in Leviticus, all the ways of worship that are mentioned in Leviticus. You think about the 
festivals and the feast and, and the holidays that they had in the Old Testament that they were to observe. I mean, can you imagine, can you imagine if seven times a year we had to travel to Jerusalem? Imagine telling your bosses you need to take vacation time seven times a year. How's that going to work? They did it. They did it. And this scribe is sitting here saying to love our neighbor, to love God and to love our neighbor, that's more than doing all of that combined. If you did every sacrifice, gave every offering, went to every festival, worshiped in the temple every time you had an opportunity, none of that adds up to the level of loving God and loving your neighbor in this way. This is why the law cannot save you. Because you cannot live up to God's standard. Even if you kept it, you could not live up to God's standard. Proof once again that God will not accept you by your works, but rather your heart. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. This scribe goes, To love God and to love your neighbor, you can't do that. I mean, that's, that's bigger than everything that we've been doing all these years. And Jesus says, you're getting it. Because this scribe is about to learn that his only option is to fall on the grace of God. Yep. That is what gets you into heaven. That's right. And finally, I want to talk to you about loving your neighbor. Now, in one of the other tellings of this story, in one of the other Gospels, the question was asked, who is my neighbor? And in Luke chapter 10, Jesus answered with a parable. There was a man who was traveling, and he was attacked by bandits, and they wounded him and threw him in the ditch. A priest walks by and crosses over to the other side of the road. I don't see that. A Levite, these are the guys who, who operated the temple. He sees the guy, same thing. It was a Samaritan that helped him. Ew. Right? It's a, the Jews hated the Samaritans. And the good guy in this story is, is a Samaritan. And Jesus asked the question, which of these three was neighbor to the man who was hurt? And they said the one that helped him. The Samaritan. Even the Samaritans are our neighbors. The lesson that Jesus got across in that is that we're all neighbors. Your brothers and sisters in Christ are your neighbors. Your family are your neighbors. Your friends are your neighbors. Your allies are your neighbors. The community at large here, our neighbors and our enemies, guess what? Are our neighbors. And we are to agape love our neighbors. Philippians chapter 2 verses 4 and 5 say, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This means to look not only on your own things, but also on the things of others. To see things from the other's perspective, to see the other's needs, and then to act accordingly. That's what agape love is. It's self-sacrificial in this regard. And so your brothers and sisters in Christ, look on their things. Look on their things. I want to tell you that LifePoint Baptist Church is a good, loving church in the phileo sense. We, we have a genuine affection toward one another. We like to see each other. One thing I have not seen here 
And the pastor is always the last to know. So if I'm missing it, forgive me. But one thing I have not seen here is the divisions. I'm not seeing the, this group over here and that group over here and that group over here talking about this group over here and this group over here talking about that group and, and, and the murmuring. I don't see that. We're a good, phileo, loving church. But we need to take the next step to be the agape loving church. Yes. Because we're good in that if somebody comes in here and they have a need, we meet the need. Yes. We meet the need. The agape loving church not only meets the need, it understands the need. And in many cases can see the need before the need is manifested. You see what I'm saying? And so we need to get in the habit of seeing things from each other's perspective. We all have hurts. We all have hurts. We need to learn how to see each other's hurt. Yes. To see each other's perspective. And to minister to that. Because there are things that I do that are quirky that probably drive you crazy. And I have reason for those. I have issues. And there are things that you do that drive each other crazy. And you don't talk about them. You just put up with them. But what's up with these quirks? What's up with these quirks? There's reasons for those. Those come from hurts. Those come from past experiences. Why does this person talk all the time and this person never says a word? There's reasons for those. We understand. We need to learn to understand those and to see those perspectives. That's yes. agape love. Yes. And when we get there, maybe you're already there, I'm... But when we get there, that's what makes this experience together as brothers and sisters so powerful. Yes. And that's what makes for a powerful church. And that's what makes for an awesome experience with the Lord. Yes. Brothers and sisters in Christ, your neighbors love one another. Yes. Your family see things from others' perspective and to, and to minister and to, and to act accordingly. Why does your kid act this way? Actually, I'm preaching it myself. Why does my, my kid act this way? My kid acts this way because he's... He's dealing with his perspective. I need to understand that and work within that. Why does your wife get upset when you don't do the dishes? There's issues there. Okay, we see those. We understand those. Same thing with friends. We also need to learn to see things from the perspective of our community. Our community is hurting. Our community is lost. Why? Because they're not smart enough to come to church. No, that's wrong answer. Wrong answer. Oh, that, do y'all understand the levels of hurt that are out there? The levels of confusion, the levels of misteaching, the misconceptions. That's why people do the thing that they do. You ever have somebody just get really upset at you? And you don't know why they're upset at you. What did I do to you? Nothing. They're hurt. And people respond out of hurtness. And even your enemies. These are your opponents. Your enemies. They've got a perspective too. And that's why Jesus told us to love our enemies. To have that agape love toward our enemies. To understand it from their perspective and then to act accordingly. Why? Because this agape love has a redemptive quality to it. 
And this is what the Christian life is all about. One of the great lies that has permeated through contemporary Christianity is that it's all about us. It's about my holiness, my righteousness, whether or not I can live righteous, whether or not I can live holy, whether or not I can attain that next level of spirituality. What's in it for me? This is where judgmentalism comes in. This is where church division comes in. This is where conflict comes in. This is where you have the attitude that drive the lost away from the church come in because we're focused on ourselves. That's not love. When we're focused on church growth, question came up on Facebook last night. With so many churches growing, what can we do to stop, or so many churches closing, what can we do to stop the closures and to get churches to grow again? And I said the more we focus on that, the worse the problem is going to get. The more focused we are on contemporary versus traditional worship. The, the more close churches are going to close. The more focused we are on what do you wear to church. The more focused we are on King James versus NIV versus NLT versus ESV versus HCSB. I picked up an ESV the other day and I'm like, ooh, I'm liking this. And then I was reminded, does anybody here read an ESV? See, that's the answer I got to and I asked the question so I put it back on the shelf. You know, um... <laughs> I don't have time to get us all on the same page translation-wise, all right? We're going to roll with this. My King James-only brethren are going to hear that on the Internet, and they're going to get mad at me. I'm not worried about that. The more we have that discussion, this translation versus that translation, the more we debate these issues, the more focused we are on ourselves and what That's we're right. doing. And the end goal is to build our church? Yeah. Wrong answer, McFly. <laughs> All right? No. Jesus told us to love. Amen. He told us to love God with everything holding nothing back. Which means if God blesses you tomorrow and the IRS calls and says, we've made a mistake on your taxes for the past 40 years and we owe you a million dollars, you praise God. Amen. All right? But the IRS calls tomorrow and we said, you made a mistake on your taxes and you owe us a million dollars. We'll take up a collection for your lawyer, try to help you out with this. But you still praise God. You love God. All right? And when it comes to each other, we love each other. We love each other for who we are. We work with each other. We see each other's perspective. We minister to that. We help as we can. That's love. And when we're dealing with people outside these walls, yes. we love them. Yes. You go to the McDonald's, yes. and you got that lady there behind the counter. If you make it to the counter, sometimes that little machine says you can order here. You don't have to wait in line. Blip, 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 blip. And take your drink cup and your, and your number, and you're good. But the lady's still going to bring the food to you. You see the lady at the McDonald's, or I don't know, maybe you're eating at Popeye's. I don't care where you eat. There's going to be somebody there. Yes. You love them. Yes. You think they're, you think they're happy to be working there? They may. They may not. Love them. Yeah, yeah. See it from their perspective. 
And if you do that, you love God and you love people, then you are doing what God wants you to do. And when you do what God wants you to do, he is honored and glorified. He is pleased. And he rewards. Yes. 